This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast, the podcast where we talk to brewery owners and ask questions about owning a brewery so that future brewery owners can learn a thing or two. I'm Mike Curtin, and if you haven't subscribed yet, well, get on it. All the kids are doing it. This is episode 68, and in this episode, I sit down with Oscar Wong, founder and co-owner of Highland Brewing Company in Asheville, North Carolina. Oscar tells me how they learned the hard lesson by buying a bottling machine right before cans took off, how starting off local and building your brand in your community can be a great thing for a brewery, and the importance of a mental break from things and how sometimes you just need to walk away from everything for a little bit for the sake of your sanity. With that being said, I'm stepping away from the podcast for a while. It's just too much to handle. April Fools to you guys and girls out there. Yeah, I got you. I got you so good. And yes, I know usually say that on the first of the month, but I didn't have an episode released on the first of the month. So the joke's on you. But it is the 10th. There's a one in it and a zero. So it was almost like the same thing when you add them up. And when you add it all up, it all equates to an amazing knowledge-filled episode featuring Oscar Wong. Now it doesn't get much better than that. Even mathematicians agree. So sit back, crack open a beer, and enjoy the podcast. Oscar Wong immigrated to the United States from Jamaica in the 1960s to attend the University of Notre Dame. While there, he studied structural and civil engineering and took an interest in homebrewing between study sessions. After graduating, he opened his own engineering firm. The business was a success and allowed him to sell it and retire at a young age. Wong and his family enjoyed vacations in Asheville for many years and felt connected to the creative community. After a few years of retirement, Wong was ready for his next challenge, and when a local brewer reached out about an opportunity to start a craft brewery, he was ready for the adventure, but only in Asheville. They would get the ball rolling on making it work, and on April 21, 1994, they would open to the public as Highland Brewing Company. They would become Asheville's pioneer and first brewery founded in the city since Prohibition, and the third oldest craft brewery still in operation in the state of North Carolina. And Oscar is here with me today. Oscar, how are you? I'm doing really well. I'm still in good shape, I think, for an old fart. <laughs> well, God bless you, man. I'm happy to hear it. I know you had sold a company and then you were retired. You sold your nuclear waste engineering company. And this was back right. in 1987. Yes. And then you were retired for a short time before you decided to get into opening a brewery. I know you had done some home brewing, but what was that? What was that aha moment for you when okay. when you finally decided like this is it? I'm opening a brewery. Well, uh, actually, it was a serendipity. I was kept on after I sold the business in '87 until 1990. At that point, they cut me loose and they moved the operation from Charlotte to California and didn't have room for a 50-year-old washed-up engineer, and my wife convinced me to take a break. I did, and then after a couple of years, I did some consulting, but in the fourth year, I was introduced to an award-winning brewer, and he had need for business and financial, legal, regulatory experience. He was a good brewer, so... It was a good match because at that time I had been home for four years and having a kind of relaxed time, actually. Right. And um, 
my wife was ecstatic about the idea of me getting into something that I've always loved because, as I said before, I brewed while in college and I always enjoyed beer. And now this, this aha moment is more of a matter of something fell into my lap, frankly. And so we jumped on it. I will say that after a few years, I did buy my partner out because he wanted to change things every day or every week. And I thought, you can't, you can't do that. You, you, know, you have to be consistent. You can tweak it, but you can't change it. Right. So I had uh, monies from my retirement. We had saved up and I was uh, depleting the hell out of it and caused much concern on my wife's part, but she hung in there and we just kept going. But the aha moment is more serendipity for me. Right. Gotcha. I know it was back in, in 1994 when you first opened your brewery. From that serendipitous moment when you came up with the idea to go forward with opening a brewery to the moment you finally opened your doors to the public, what would you say was the most challenging part for you, if you can recall back to that? I had a business before that in engineering. Right. This time, I had a level of local and regulatory issues that just boggled my mind. Right. I think the difference was in engineering, you're dealing with uh, concepts, you produce documents, you evaluate, you do computer analysis and so forth. In beer making, you're actually making a physical substance that you're selling to people that they're going to ingest. There's a whole different ballgame. The surprise was the depth to which, first of all, not many people had been doing that here. We were the first legal ones in Asheville since Prohibition. So that tells you it's um, we were pioneers. And as you know, pioneers get shot at more <laughs> than most. Yes. And so we started, and it took a while, but the difficulties was local, state. Federal was not so bad. Um, based on because of my engineering in nuclear waste, dealing with the regulatory folks at the federal level was much less of a conundrum. The problem was the local. Right. They had no idea. The reaction was, you're going to make what? <laughs> yeah. But no, that's different. That, that's different today. Of course. Of course, people yeah. almost uh, welcome breweries to their town. Exactly. Right. Completely different yeah. time. How did you go about funding funding your business? Did you use mostly your savings to do that? It was uh, primarily savings. But at the same time, it made sense to have a banking relationship. Because of my previous uh, engineering business, I had banking relationships and was able to uh, get a bank to help with, uh, you know, it's like um, if you have $10 in your savings account and you gamble all 10, that's not a good idea. (laughs) If you say, okay, I'll gamble five of it and I'll get five more from the bank, then you have a connection. And that's effectively what we did. Right. That makes total sense. Obviously, dealing with, you know, the state and uh, all these things that, that came about when you opened your brewery, besides, obviously, you know, dealing with the state government and all that, what's something you never thought you were going to have to deal with when opening your brewery? First of all, being the first, it was a whole different ballgame trying to find people 
who knew much about beer or, you know, the, the homebrew clubs were a good source. But I would say the, the biggest hurdle was very local regulatory bodies. In other words, it would be the state and the county, the, the, the city and the county, I would say, in retrospect, the federal was the easiest. The state was kind of follows along a little bit with a little bit more difficulty, but the really big problems are very, very local. They have to be concerned about the safety of the uh, systems, the local electrical, structural, mechanical, fire marshal, all that at the very local level right. was the biggest problem. Gotcha. And uh, speaking of things that uh, you didn't think you had to deal with, 2020, COVID hit, but also in 2020, you were the recipient of the Brewers Association Recognition Award in great company, Sam Calagione, uh, oh, yeah. Jim Cook, all these all these great, great brewers, great innovators. Talk about up and downs. <laughs> but... W- <laughs> How awesome was it to receive that during that time? But also, how did you go about dealing with the whole COVID situation almost in the same breath? First of all, the award was a stunning surprise. Right. You know, to, to be tied in with the levels of the people that went before me, it was unbelievable, actually. For sure. And the surprise was also compounded by the fact that Wait a minute, we're, we're, we're not a national brand, we're not a regional brand, even we're a local brand in Asheville, North Carolina, a kind of a hidden uh, tourist gem. So that, all that kind of really bothered my mind. It was amazing reaction, just feeling of, wow, boy, I tell you what, I'm, it, it was big. And you're right, the backdrop is COVID. But I would say that um, we use the time to up our game. We figured that you're going to run into issues in business no matter what. This one was a little bit outside the envelope. It's uh, bigger than anybody expected. But at the same time, I would say the, the thinking was we will survive this some way and our staff is key. So we kept staff and we revamped and did things so that when it reopened partially, the comments we got from a lot of people was, wow, that's one of the safer places I can go to. We, 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 were, uh, we had the, the cleaning system, the, the spacing system. The, uh, we just did everything that people that did venture out came away and said, you know, it's, it's really safe to go to Highland because of the way we approached it. Right. We also used the time to build uh, three uh, volleyball courts that are really tournament grade. We've got a lot of compliments on it that it's excellent and it's um, pretty busy right now with even when it's pretty cold for me it's like 50 high 40s they're out there playing right that's I awesome to be that age but yeah just bringing people together it's a great thing exactly throughout that that whole time of owning your brewery you're you're going on i think it's 28 years correct this is 28? Yes. This is 28. 24 to 22 is 28 years. Yeah, wow. Coming up on 30. Good for you. That's that's amazing. What would you say it was one of the hardest adjustments you had to make during that time? As craft beer hit its stride, it, it took a while when we began because of where we were 
and that Krapim, the southeast, was the last developing area of the country. So I would say that the the difficulties regarding um, an adjustment. Uh, let me just say, <laughs> not a entry of Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, and Oscar Blues in our backyard really spun my head around a little bit, and I thought, oh no, <laughs> we were the, we were the, the big kid on the block, and now we're we got swallowed up. Right, right. And so we had to up our game. And I would say that that pushed us pretty hard to figure out how do we up our game, not necessarily challenge them. I mean, we couldn't. We're not in the same ball game. We wanted to cut out our niche. And um, I think what, what really helped a lot is that we got very embedded with our community. We From the very beginning, even when we couldn't afford to give money out, we said, well, we can give you beer. Right. And, um, you know, help out a lot of local charities. That was a big connection. And I've always felt strongly about connecting with your local community. That um, just brought us through. That's huge. Community's huge. Make good with the community and they'll, and they'll remember you. You know, Michael, yeah. beer historically has been the most community-centric business. You think of the pubs in the days before newspaper, telephone, anything. That's where you gathered. Right. And that's where you found out, you know, who was fooling around with whom. <laughs> <laughs> right. All the gossip. All the gossip columns were originally inside pubs. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's great. So what are some qualities or what's a great quality that you possess that makes you a good business owner? I think uh, you should ask Ava and the rest of my, my daughter and the rest of her. I, I, I think it's an ability to meet and listen to people because, you know, every now and then you come across and there's a, a Steve Jobs or an Edison or a Elon Musk and, and they can afford to be whatever they want to be and they're so far ahead of everybody, they don't have to make nice, okay? Yeah. That's, that's not 99% of the people in business. You have to be able to work with people. Right. Being able to have an open mind is a huge thing. Exactly. Yeah. Whether it's your uh, supplier, your customer, your staff, everybody. They all have different perspectives coming at you. Of course. And you you need to adapt and listen. Yeah. They may see something that you don't. Uh, From this, from the whole time being open. Uh, in that 27 years, what do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned so far? Um, the biggest lesson I've learned is how much change occurs constantly. Uh, you can come up with a business plan or an idea that, and uh, it just shifts quickly. Now, I'll give you an example. When the, the big boys came to town, we said, okay, we got to up our game, take a gamble. And we invested in a multi-million dollar bonding system. I inquired around to our customers, uh, retailers, wholesalers, everybody said, I, I hear about cans, but, you know, they said, oh, no, they're, they're two or three years down the road, at least. In right. the meantime, we need to ramp up and get going. So we invested multi-million into a bottling system, and six months after we inaugurated and started pumping out beer at 320 bottles a minute, and I was so proud of it, cans take off. <laughs> I thought, oh my God, wait a minute now. We, we just went big time into this. So we scrambled around and bought a used canning system right. just, just so we could be in the game. We 
we thought, okay, we'll run it and run the wheels off this one until we get going. Well, within two years, we were messing up so much product that it made sense for us to get a real good canning system and justify it because of how much product we were wasting right. because this old canning system wasn't up to the task. And so now we have a canning system that goes close about 280 cans a minute versus 320 on the bottom end and costs about half of what the bottling system costs. Well, um, cans have outstripped bottles now. Of course. Units. And I'm thinking, look at this big white elephant. <laughs> yeah, hindsight 2020, you might have went with the, with the canning machine. But yeah, you never know. You never know which way the industry is going to go. It's kind of That's kind of wild. So you, you just, no matter what you think you know, the public can change on you overnight. Right, yeah. What was that defining moment for you? That first defining moment where you knew things were going really well for your business? And also, how do you define success? First of all, there's never a, a time when you feel like, okay, we're, we're in good shape. We're, we're on a cruise now. When you're in business, that's never the fact because there's disruptors around more than ever. Media. I mean, we didn't we didn't have a marketing budget in the beginning. We we scrambled around and uh, gave beer and talked to people. But you just cannot expect that um, at some point I, I kind of I hit the, the peak now and I'm, I'm rolling because things change. And as we talked about before, you have to be ready to shift gears constantly. We lost money or broke even for eight years. Really? Now, a lot of people don't have that kind of patience. Right. But since we didn't have outside people bugging us, I wanted to make sure that the product we were delivering was the best we could do, and we wouldn't sell it. We used to dump beer if it wasn't quite right. So when we went into packaging, we were doing kegs only, then we did 22s, then we went to 12 ounce, and that started to pick up and roll. So when we broke even, and in the eighth year we got profitable, it, it was a kind of a, what's uh, say, a, a, a turning point in, in my thinking said, you know what, I think we're going to be able to have a business and keep it going. That doesn't mean you, you kind of rest on your laurels, because uh, I remember an old quote from Andrew Grove, that Intel founder, he said, you know, if you're in business and you're not paranoid, you won't be in business very long. Okay. I've, I've held on to that mantra all my life because there's no guarantees. We're in a free society, and that's one of the things I think is wonderful in the U.S., where you're free to fail, but you're free to try. Of course. It, it, there's something about doing your own thing that's um, psychic energy that it, it's, it's hard to describe unless you do it. And there'll be challenges, but, you know, if you just survive for some period of time, you start saying, this is pretty cool. And when you get the accolades from your customers, and you make great beers, it, 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 it just keeps you going. Right. So it's a good feeling to hear that. I'm sure. Oh yeah. And I, I'm sure you've inspired so many people in the beer industry. I'm sure. But who inspired you the most in the beer industry? If I were to pick one guy, it was Ken Grossman. Ken Grossman. Yeah, I only yeah. met him a couple of times, but he picked it up from his bootstraps. You know. Right. Scrambling around and it just kept the quality and the consistency, and I think that is what any kind of top-notch um, manufacturer will do. Right. And then, and close second is Charlie Papazian, you know. 
I've met both of them on a few occasions, and I think they've inspired me to, hey, you know what, this is pretty cool industry. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a pretty amazing industry. Oh, yeah. And, you know, what I'm proud of, Michael, is the fact that prior to this, prior to the, well, in the 80s thereabouts, the Europeans used to look at us and say, oh, the Americans, they don't know about beer, they don't know how to make beer. We turn around, and now craft brewing and innovation in beer making, this is a source in the U.S., and it's affecting Europe, East Asia, Asia everywhere. Right. So that, I'm, I'm proud of that. You know, a lot of that is based on the fact that we're a very free country. You're free to screw up by golly, but some people, you're free to try, and your brilliance that comes out of it. I love that. I think my biggest eye opener was when I went to Croatia uh, on a cruise, and yeah. my father's from Yugos former Yugoslavia, Croatia, and we went to uh, Dombrovnik Beer Company that was right off right off the uh, port, and yeah. it was just like they made like IPAs and porters and everything. I was just like, wow, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, like you, I feel like I would have never saw that maybe you know a couple of years prior if I had gone there. Without a doubt. You know, prior to that, back in the 80s or 90s, you you get a lager. Right. And yeah. that was it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Or possibly a wheat beer. <laughs> speaking, speaking of styles of beer, what do you think has been the biggest change for you in the industry in the last five years? First of all, the rise of the IPA is phenomenal. I mean, our flagship is an amber ale, the other gale. Yes, yeah, right. But then we recognized that uh, we had to do IPAs of some form or another. And uh, as a group, they now outsell our ales that are tend to be malty and British style. But our, our number one is still Gaelic Ale. But the other the IPAs have come along very heavily. And I would say the surprise is that it has hit and consistently stayed. So we have versions of IPAs that are all the way from uh, light drinking, almost uh, lawnmower beer, all the way up to double and triple IPA. Right. So the recognition of uh, the flavoring of hops and the range, I think, have surprised a lot of people. And what was your actual gateway beer into the craft beer world? Well, I would say it was um, Boston Lager. Boston Lager. Yeah, back in the late 80s. I, I sampled it up in Boston and uh, Sam Adams, you know. Right. Yeah, and uh, I thought, whoa, <laughs> this this has got a little taste to it. <laughs> yeah, this is a little different from all the other ones. <laughs> so it was still a lager, right. but a little bit more flavorful than I was used to. Prior to that, you know, some of my favorite beers were things like Valentine uh, Ale and Genesee 12 Horse Ale and things like that, so... I was always kind of a little more high-flavored as opposed to the standard Budweiser course. Right. But uh, it's always nice to have that change up. So, like you say, owning a business, you know, being paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> but how important is a mental break from your business? And how did you go about doing that? Physical activity is always helpful. Now, if you're actually physically brewing, you don't need physical activity. Right. You'll get a workout. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I was, I was not so much in the uh, physical brewing as much 
paper pusher type and tasting and staying up nights trying to figure things out. But the break for me was uh, I still play handball to this day. Awesome. In fact, I'll be playing this afternoon, um, playing twice a week. Uh, hiking. So for me, those were my getaway. And um, you know, just reading uh, action books like Baldacci and stuff like that. Yeah. I would say everybody, every one of us needs to break away from the grind. And for each one of us, it's different. You know, it's so, and I highly recommend making sure that you break, even, even on a small scale. I walk around in the office and I remind some of the folks every now and then said, you know, you ought to stand up a little bit. So we have a desk with a movable computer screen. Right, right, okay. Um, or, you know, hour and a half, two hours. You just get up and walk outside, you know, just take a break. So that's on a micro scale. Right. On a little bigger scale, I would say first year, it's going to be hard to take any significant move away from the business. At least weekly, there there should be one day where you kind of do something different. Right. But, uh, you know, you, you and your friends want to start this business and you're thinking about it. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a leap of faith. But if you're serious about really wanting to do it, you, you study what, what niche you could be in, okay? What kind of beers do you like, you prefer to make, and what can, does, how does that match up with the community that you'll be in? And I think if you focus on earn, owning your backyard, you have a good start, you know, and then not try to be do too many different things too soon. Kind of select what you think is a style for that community that you're in. And the beautiful part about it is locals are very quick to embrace their local brewery. They're not quick to embrace their local winery. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can rest assured that there's a built-in support from your local folks and tying in with their community uh, uh, activities would be a big help. Absolutely. Get to be a part of the community in a very real sense. If you can elaborate on that in a real sense. Well, uh, charitable cases are in your community. Right. And you, you select some key ones that are meaningful to you. Gotcha. Say, okay, you know, we like to work with you. And it's not a good one to pick if it's a, a kids centered. You know what I Of course, yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, here, kid, have a beer. <laughs> yeah. So um, find local charities that have uh, presence and good reputation, are strong. And just think how can I connect with these people? And that's a good start. Gotcha. But of course, you got to focus on your business first to see how you actually operate, make beer, and have your supply lines, your connections, your banking, your regulatory. And um, it's helpful to talk to your local regulatory people ahead of time and say, bring them into the discussions. And, hey, um, what kind of things would you be concerned about if we did this? Because yeah. they'll be the ones that are going to sign off when you're even getting started. Right. It's um, a pretty wide-ranging set of instructions to connect with people. But I think um, historically, as we said before, beer is something that's every man's drink. It's, it's a little bit more, it's not snooty. It is an adult beverage. You'll have a lot of 
potential picking the right area. And another thing to consider is that uh, I would say it doesn't make sense to consider distribution initially. If you sell on site, you'll have much better margins. Right. So I wouldn't go too far afield. Uh, you might self-distribute minimally to begin with, just get a taste of it. But I would say we never did that from the very beginning. From the from day one, I said, no, I'm dealing with distributors. I didn't want a Friday night call and it needs a keg. You know? So the difference is that if you have an on-premise tasting venue, that's essential in today's market. Yeah, that's that's what I'm I'm picking up from a lot of people. If uh, if you're starting off small, don't go right to distribution because there's a lot that comes with it. It's not as as simple as just getting your beer to one spot. I mean, you you have distribution companies and everything that comes along with it. So it's a yeah, whole can of worms. On site uh, venue where people can sample your product and you will have the margins that cover the distributor and the retailer's margin. You keep. Right. Oscar, what is next for your brewery? What does the future look like for Island? Well, Michael, that's a tough question. In fact, um, Lee and I discussed it with our finance people just uh, two days ago. What we're seeing, there's more on-site growth of our business. Our off-site growth, which is still 80% of our business or more, is flat. And we're only in four states. We used to be in nine states. Right. So we're, we're thinking that the hybrid is we're becoming more and more of a destination. And that'll balance off the fact that we're not growing in the distribution side of things. Okay. Craft brewing overall volume is flat or down. You got to keep that in mind too. Good to know. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like the, uh, like I said, people have told me that as far as like keeping it to a, a local, local spot your neighborhood, yep. you know, build a community, as you had said, and, uh, you know, become your, your neighborhood hangout. Right. And exactly. that'll, that'll kind of uh, bring people to you and, and, and kind of bring a loyalty to your spot. So, so there's, you know, Michael, that, that reminds me of a little anecdote. I had a visitor from England when we moved to our current location in 06, he might've been there about 07 or 08. Right. And he said, um, what's your volume, annual volume? So I told him, I said, Whoa, um, your volume is the same as ours, and we've been in business 150 years. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that, that's that's got to make you feel a little better, then. <laughs> the, the the point is though, they have been existing and they're surviving and they're doing fine. Right. That, that's tough to do in America, where if you're not growing, they'll figure you're dying. Right. Exactly. And, and that's a tough call to make. And we're not eager. For growth and growth's sake. In other words, you can make a decent living and, you know, kind of not be crazy about, you know, shooting the moon. Anyway, it depends on what you're thinking is what you want to get out of it. Right, for sure. If somebody came to you, which I'm sure they do all the time, and asked you for advice on opening their own place, what are some main points that you would tell them? Your, your financial, when you do your review, if you figure that it's going to take $100 to get this thing totally wrapped up, uh, figure on being open to spending close to twice that right? somehow okay. over time. So be a little bit careful about your backing or financial backing. The other thing is to make sure that you, it's a bad word to say it that way, grease the skid, but the fact is if you approach your regulatory folks at the different level, local, 
state wide to say, I want to do it. This is what we plan to do. Here's our thinking. Are there any non-starters for you? So that you get them. The, the idea is to get to the point where they figure you're not going to pull a fast one. You're working within the system. And that credibility goes a long way toward getting things done. Right. I have come across people who have tried to say uh, the old adage about it's easier to ask forgiveness to ask for permission. Right. That's that's asking for trouble because they can shut you down. Of course. I think it's a, a short-sighted view of uh, dealing with regulatory folks. So, and then you make sure you have your uh, all the legal things wrapped up, your finance, your regulatory. And operationally, it'd be good to have someone who's had some experience in working in even a small brewery. It doesn't matter about the size. It, it, it's just that somebody's familiar with the whole process, the headaches that go with going from grain and water to beer, you know, and everything that's in between. So some technical savvy okay. would be helpful. Gotcha. And uh, did you happen to have a funny story for us? Um, well, it's just kind of a historic thing. It's, um, you know, in the beginning, when we were trying to sell the beer, my uh, brewer and I would go run around with a little Cornelius keg in the trunk, ice down, and we'd go and, you know, give samples to these retail guys. We said, hey, you, you try it. Okay, we run back to the car, get two little cups, and bring in and taste our beer. Well, we did that all over town, and then come to find out, it was so illegal on so many fronts. <laughs> I mean, first of all, what we were doing wasn't wrong, wasn't right. The, the retailer accepting it was also wrong because he was on duty. I right. mean, it was like, and finally, we didn't get caught doing it. But the funny part about it is, that, you know, I can talk about it and say, well, the statute of limitations are run off, so they can't do anything. Right. I've been fortunate in how things work. Another funny one is uh, our brewer was training the young guy and he said one thing you never never do empty a tank without opening up the petcock boxes that's that that absolutely forbidden our head brewer a week later did exactly that and sucked one of the tanks in <laughs> <laughs> i mean we came back and said oh there's a huge dent it just sucked right because you know how that is you, you start pulling the stuff out and you don't really have any pressure relief Right. So it collapsed a tank. But that, that is simple stuff. I, you know, most of the time I've had a beautiful run with this business. And I hope you will too. That's great. That's great. I'm happy to hear it the whole way through, man. I mean, 27 years going strong. I mean, 28, yeah. coming on 28 in the, in next month. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. God bless. And, yeah. uh, and we have a little segment called Quick Fire Five. It's five quick questions, beer related. Ready? Oh, boy. Okay. All right. I think I know the answer to this one, but um, somebody comes into your brewery. What's one of the beers you recommend they try? Gaelic Ale. Gaelic Ale. All right. Favorite brewery other than your own? Allagash. Allagash. Favorite style of beer? Currently, IPA. IPA. Okay. Favorite name that you've come up with for one of your beers? I, I say Oatmeal Porter because it's one of my favorite beers. And I'm able to say my wife's insistence on my having oatmeal regularly <laughs> makes it work. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You get your daily your daily oatmeal fix. There you go. 
And uh, you have one keg of beer to hold you over for a two-week quarantine. What beer are you choosing? I would say a Belgian triple. Belgian triple. Anyone in, in particular? Chimay. Chimay? Okay. Yeah. Well, good enough. Well, Oscar, that's that's all I got for you, man. It's been an uh, absolute pleasure. My pleasure. And good luck to you. Thank you very much. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order podcast here with Oscar Wong, owner of Highland Brewing Company in Asheville, North Carolina. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Oscar Wong of Highland Brewing Company in Asheville, North Carolina. Hopefully, you were able to take some tips away from that interview if you're looking to open your own brewery. And if you're ever down in Asheville, you should definitely check those guys out doing amazing things down there. Also, give them a follow on social media so you can see all the tasty beers they have. And give us a follow on social media, too, for updates on the podcast. Every other Sunday, I'll be releasing a new episode, so subscribe. You'll never miss one. And I hope you never miss one, because they're really good. I swear. Nobody tells me, but I believe it. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order Podcast. You stay safe out there.